today on Know How. How to be a modern gaming parent. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This episode of Know How is brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to Grammarly.com slash knowhow to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. Welcome to Know How. I'm Jason Howell, and in this TV monitor over my shoulder is Sam Moscovich with a wonderful painting behind him. Sam Moscovich from Mars Technica. How are you doing, Sam? Doing quite well, feeling artful uh, while staying at my mother's because it is the Christmas season. And what better time to stay at my mom's than to talk about being an online gaming parent? My poor mother has had to be one for over 20 years at this point. Does it kind of take you back, uh, bad memories, like like arriving home and realizing just all the, all the trouble that you could have gotten into if your parents weren't such good parents and they didn't keep you out of that trouble? As a gaming oh, kid. my mother. Well, and my mother's way of being a gaming parent was just to pick up the telephone because we had one phone line and it was all 56k modem while <sighs> yeah. trying to get Quake World to work. It was yes. a, it was a different time. So you know I, that was that was that was parental control was get off the internet. Yeah, I can identify with that. Uh, of course, when I was a kid, it was more. It was 56k was a dream. It was like three hundred. Well, I mean, I think what happened in your case was your mother would tape over your favorite cassette video games with whatever uh, Taylor Dane albums she loved. If, is my guess. <laughs> if they knew how to do that, if they even knew that I had a cassette uh, cassette thing for my Commodore 64. That was me giving you yeah. the "you're an old gamer" without going back to like a Stone Age analogy. So you're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, today we thought we'd spend some time talking about kind of the thorny subject of what it takes to be a parent in this modern age of gaming. Because, you know, what's what's very different to a certain degree from when I was a kid, you know, ba- way back in the Stone Ages, is that when I was playing games as a kid... Usually, it was just entirely by myself, right? Like, I had the Commodore 64. Sure, I could get on a bulletin board system and I could find games. But there was no, like, there was no community around that within the games. And that's really a large part of what gamers today are looking for. They're looking for that multiplayer experience. But they're also looking to kind of stretch that sense of community out into the entire world. Because that's the beauty of the Internet. That's what the Internet enables. Well, this is a topic I really care about because I feel like this is the question I get all the time from friends. They ask about my job, and we get into sort of a chat about Orange Technica, what the heck is that, how do you spell it, et cetera. And then kind of the first question that comes up is, my kids are playing online, what should I know? And it's sort of this nefarious soup, especially because so many games are promoted as online products, that you can go online and get new stuff and get constant patches, and all of your friends are playing something, so you should be playing it too, is that sort of attitude that changes and pervades. I don't think that being an online parent has to be the worst thing ever, but having some tools and some knowledge will make it so much easier, not only to let your kid run freely on the internet, but to have better, more productive conversations with them about living an online life. 
Yeah, absolutely. And all of this seems to kind of uh, circle around this idea of parental settings, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent. I have a five, I have a five and an eight-year-old daughter, so two daughters. Uh, my eight-year-old is really getting into kind of video games, but more like on the tablet side of things, although we did just get a PS4 and... Let's just say that uh, Santa's going to bring some presents that might might make her a little more interested in the PS4 uh, in a in a few days. But um, so I'm I'm kind of tackling these issues now too, where she wants to get further and further into this world, and I love that because I love video games, and I certainly have my my history with them. But there's there are certain things that I'm a little uncertain about because of this like extended community aspect of even some of the games that she's playing right now. So that's kind of what this is all about. Uh, we thought we'd kind of take the first segment and dive into this idea of parental settings and having those parental controls over these systems, not just mobile, but also consoles, obviously. Um, how important do you think these are? I mean, they, they control, in some cases, they control most aspects of the machine. Uh, are they pretty tolerant to our smart children who will wish to defeat them? <laughs> if you want your kid using any device that they own uh, on the internet in any way, then parental controls are a very good beginning to saying, there are things that you just cannot do. Uh, and I think that a lot of kids come to that understanding of, if I am going to use this thing that my parents got me or that we split in terms of allowance, there are certain rules I have to abide by in order to use this awesome, expensive toy. Otherwise, they can just hand me, you know, an old TI-82 graphing calculator and I can play Plane Jumper on there. So I think that sort of conversation and understanding is really important whenever getting into a, a gaming or any sort of connected device. Um, and so... You, you're generally getting controls that a kid cannot defeat. It's as simple as you've created a password, that kid is not going to be able to crack it unless they become such an enterprising social hacker mm -hmm. that they call Sony and they pretend to be you and they know all of your secret questions and answers and other little details. So uh, social hacking is one of those crazy things that a terrible Sony or Xbox or Nintendo customer service rep could let defeat. My guess is your kid is either not going to go to that trouble or you might be so proud of them for going to that trouble that at that point, fine, <laughs> go ahead and look at weird stuff on video games. But essentially, there is a lot set up in all these systems because we are a few generations in to parental controls on devices, meaning these systems and all of the customer service aspects around them have been tested to work. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and then, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking about this whole kind of social engineering to get the pin code. And, uh, and one thing that I know for sure, just for my eight year old is that she's, she's actually smart enough to have figured out one of my pin codes because I was very uninventive in creating it. So make sure you do that too. Don't pick, you know, as is the case with all passwords and pin numbers and everything, don't pick something that's really easy to figure out, even though you're going to pick something that's easy for you to remember. Uh, I learned that very early on and I was like, oh man, she's, she's super smart. She figured that out. So, uh, that's yeah. And most of these simple. allow at least six digits or even yeah. an alphanumeric thing. You know, you get, you've got a, a book that you can hopefully lock up in a desk that you can have that danged pin code in a pinch. Um, and beyond that, it's you get a lot of benefits essentially because you can, especially with digitally downloaded games, you can set it up so that one person pays for the game and everyone can access it. So this is important in the case of a home console that's in the living room. So if you want to buy Minecraft, for example, you can just get one copy of that and that will go down to the child accounts from that master account so that you don't necessarily, for example, need to buy four digital copies of Minecraft or things like that. 
So that's, that's a really nice thing that you can get when you go into a parental control system is you can even tell your kid, hey, if you want to enjoy these games I bought, you need to use this child account. Otherwise, you're going to need to make your own money and buy your own system and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and sometimes that, uh, sometimes that works on the games that you buy, but it doesn't always necessarily work on in-app purchases, at least I know on Android. Uh, so I've run into issues like that where I'm like, well, sure, I've got the game, but if I want any of the in-app stuff, I'm going to have to buy all that again, and uh, that can be really pricey. So be, be aware, be aware. Sometimes the, the game content itself is shared amongst the family, and that's a great incentive, but understand at what level it is shared. So let's talk a little bit about how each of these consoles kind of treat this, because they all are starting with consoles anyways. They all kind of afford different restrictions, different controls for parents. Uh, we might as well start with the Xbox One. Yeah, uh, Xbox One is following Xbox 360, which had quite a comprehensive series of family and parental settings. Uh, you can go in, and I've got to look over at my handy cheat sheet here. Uh, the kind of stuff that you can set when you go, and by the way, the tabs kind of can get you there menu-wise, but if you've got a brand new Xbox, it is very good in the initial setup. After it mm. asks for your Wi-Fi and password, at that point it will say, hey, parents, right now let's go and settle all this stuff, and we're going to tell you every single thing that you'll be able to access as a parent. But if for any reason you have had a child randomly appear and you need to, you know, set the console up for them, uh, you can go in and have different age group settings for the kind of game ratings. Every game that's on Xbox One and Xbox Live and all these networks has a rating. Um, So you can make sure that whatever rating queue you want is set up that way. Um, You can choose a certain, uh, the, the kind of apps that are accessible. Uh, maybe you don't want your kid using media apps. Um, you know, Netflix and some of these others have their own parental stuff built in as well. And you will, if you want to have your kid access Netflix and other things on a box, you'll want to use those specific apps settings. Xbox does not, Xbox, PlayStation, and other systems do not control those sub-tier media apps. So be mindful of that. Uh, but with Xbox, you can also choose to limit some very specific stuff that is important. Turning off any camera and microphone, and also turning off the chat that you hear from other users. All of these systems have this in common, and I want to say the first step for any parent is to just turn off the microphones that both your child uses and that other people's chat could be heard in games. And you can change this on a game-by-game basis, or as you get old, the kid gets older and you're more comfortable with who they're playing with, about chatting only with approved friends and things like that. So that's going to be a really big thing just to make sure as a blanket thing, no, you're not going to hear that stuff on those microphones from other players. Every every console has a different way to get to that. Yeah, and I have to imagine like there's probably a lot of games right now that not having that chat ability or the, I, I don't know as much with the camera, but at least with the chat, so many of these games that's baked into the experience they're going to want to have access to that. So I guess so that, I would, at and that I point, would argue it may... that necessarily uh, whatever games your kids are playing may not necessarily need that kind of vocal communication. Really good family-friendly online games have a, do a good job of offering uh, um, text emotes and oh, okay. uh, nonverbal signals yeah. that make very clear, hey, go over there, or I want this thing, or wow, good job. Um, so you, you definitely don't, it is tempting. A kid may very well say what Jason said. I need the chat to play well. <laughs> Not true. There are a lot of games out there that offer you those sort of things without even Rocket League has little like quick things because there's an extra D-pad on this giant complicated controller that can be assigned just to these quick 
chat responses oh, that can be used. Cool. So don't ever let Jason trick you into thinking. No, no, no. Don't listen to me. With people online. It's nice to have with trusted groups, but <laughs> definitely don't worry about it as a default thing. All right. Good correction there. Uh, I appreciate that. Now I know when my kid says I need this uh, to not listen to them. Uh, what about the PS4? This is the machine that I have. PS4 has, uh, I'd say, a less intuitive but more granular series of controls. I'm looking at my cheat sheet again where you've got uh, whether or not you can enable guests as an account sort of thing, uh, an age level restriction, whether kids can watch Blu-rays and DVDs. I do believe that's – I think these are all pretty much the same, but it's just presented differently. Uh, Blu-rays and DVD access – PlayStation VR can be enabled or disabled. So if you own a PlayStation VR headset and you're concerned that your kid is too young and that their vision will be bothered in any way by PSVR, so be it. Uh, There is a web browser that can also be restricted. Uh, This sort of chat and messaging and the ability to post comments on social media because every system has a different sort of share button and social media aspect that can be enabled or disabled. Um, and, and, And they also even have a monthly spend limit restriction uh, so that if for any reason you want to allow your kid to spend money with their own card or a gift card that you can still go into the PSN store and say you only get to spend $15 a month uh, for that sort of thing so if your kid is older and you're okay with them having a sort of online allowance budget that is a thing that you can do through the PlayStation store yeah and hopefully uh, when they you know bring that money into the store like I, I, I didn't have the time to look into this. I didn't think to look into this, but if they're going to the store with that predetermined amount of money, you know, hopefully there's some sort of recognition on the storefront of the age of the kid <laughs> so that they are buying something that is outside. But even if they did, maybe the machine would prevent them from playing it anyways because of content restrictions. But uh, having control over that is, is good. And then I also saw that there was web filtering, like content filtering. I think that's an extra service because I think it's a part of an app or something that you can get through uh, PS4. I would just point out that uh, all web filtering can be yes. gotten through. Every You want to talk about earlier when we were saying kids can be enterprising and figure these things out. Yeah. Web filtering is one of those that don't even don't even bother trusting it. It's yeah. just there's so many different ways that you can use some other search engine and kind of get to a site through there through like a frame inside of another site and things like that. So right. it'll work, but don't don't trust it. Yeah. Uh, all right, and then the Nintendo Switch, which, I mean, when I think of the Nintendo Switch, I think of a pretty family-friendly console. Of course, there is content there that I'm sure, you know, some, some parents are going to want to be able to restrict. What kind, of, uh, what kind of control do parents have on that one? I mean, Nintendo games by default, because of Nintendo Online's fragmentation and some people would say user unfriendliness, there just isn't as much stuff. Voice chat is something that requires an extra smartphone in order to even use hmm. on Nintendo Switch. So you can just, by default, say you, you, you don't get an extra phone when you're using the Switch, but you can still go into the settings and restrict that ability. Uh, and even then, that sort of voice chat is only with approved friends. Uh, but you can also, with the Nintendo Switch, say, you know what? I don't want you going on other websites and finding approved friends of strangers you've never met. Um, so it's basically everything that we said from other systems are here in terms of game ratings and abilities to either add friends or communicate with friends or join game friends in online games or use the Nintendo Switch online app on a smartphone that enables some of these other features. Yeah. So uh, for the most part, same sort of settings. Uh, also, there's really not much in the way of media players on the Switch. Hulu in YouTube are the primary apps that are available, and you can use settings within uh Nintendo's Switch to disable access to the eShop 
so that the, your kids can't just go and download Hulu and YouTube. Um, but just be aware that whatever other app they may get has its own settings or its own openness. So don't just sure. assume that whatever settings you have are going to be okay if they go and download an app off the web. Right. And then finally, we have uh, kind of the mobile platforms because, you know, obviously kids are playing a lot of games on mobile devices. Um, and here, I think the settings are maybe less specific to kind of gaming features, more just like broad access on the platforms themselves. iOS 12, um, the, the iOS 12 has a feature called Screen Time that really kind of dials into this and restricts a lot of the things that we've been talking about, but also a few other features, you know, that are very smart, smartphone or mobile platform specific, like Siri. And that's what yeah, I, I can't speak as much to this. I am not a parent. So in terms of that kind of what you hand your device, when you hand your device to a kid, what they can and cannot access yeah. uh, is not something I can necessarily speak to. But there's also fragmentation, especially in the Android space. Yeah. Maybe some phones have a, a fingerprint reader that others don't, and how that ties into what can be access, accessed and how. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the Android front, you definitely want to look into those sort of handset-specific features, especially a uh, fingerprint lock. Your kid will not be able to take your fingerprint and print it onto a piece of paper and then unlock things on the phone, yes. unless they've got some sort of crazy futuristic device that we haven't heard of, in which case that kid is very enterprising and they should be allowed to go ahead. Um, <laughs> But I, yeah, I definitely like more of your context on this one, just as a digitally aware parent who yeah. talks a lot about Android. Like what we, you would say, just about general use, I think will apply in terms of gaming. I mean, you know, okay, so my platform, of course, is Android, and uh, Google has created an app called Family Link that they use to kind of control this. And and I'm I'm super familiar with this. I use it on the the tablets that my kids uh, use on the weekends. Um, and basically, when you set up a kid's device. You set it up with an email that you've created for them through this family link kind of um, area, let's say. And that creates a family that ties into your family account. So I, as a parent, have a family link app on my phone. That gives me parental control over any device that's registered to either of my children. And so I can, I can look at, you know, the amount of time that they're spending, that they've spent on a per day basis. I can set time limits on a per day basis. I can set a bedtime cutoff. Uh, timing, limit apps, of course, uh, you know, uh, age lock certain content so that if they go to the Play Store, they only see content that's, you know, uh, rated there to be good for seven and under or maybe 13 and under. So very similar to what we're talking about in, in, uh, in the console side of things. This gives me that access on my smartphone and I can kind of just load it up and see where we stand at any given point. And I, more, more, or less, I've had a really great experience. There have been a handful of times, a small handful of times, where they're playing, and I'm like, all right, they've definitely passed the limit. What happened? And, you know, just weird app randomness on their device meant that it wasn't running or, or communicating back to my phone at that point to cut off. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm trying to keep keep aware of it, so I would know that when that happens, but uh, little things like that can happen. I think in the end, the overall kind of rule is, don't think that these things are going to parent for you. They are tools that you can use to help you, but don't just go on cruise control at that point. Like, oh, the app will do everything. They're right, not right. going to find anything that, that's inappropriate. They're, they're going to be cut off at two hours or one hour or whatever the cutoff time limit is. It, they might not, and they might get through, and you just have to be a parent. You know? And I would point out, uh, I think when it comes to 
because I work with kids in some volunteer work I do in Seattle. And I would say that when you put more restrictions on a device without those kind of open conversations and trust with kids, they are going to naturally try to break and yeah. understand whatever system is uh, is hanging over them. I think that's more of a common sense slash personal parenting decision kind of thing to deal with. So the more restrictions you put on without clear conversations with kids, yes. the more likely they're going to try to go around and find the sort of loopholes. I also failed to mention that the Nintendo Switch has a parental controls app. So if you're a parent, you can set screen time exact time amounts that a kid can use it per day oh, nice. and see exactly what they're playing. You can get this sort of stalking or uh yeah tracking your kids sort of thing which may be illuminating or may be creepy depending on how you look at it but it is an option that is built in to every nintendo switch by simply getting an app that's on both ios and android and i would say xbox and playstation both do not have a parental control kind of app that compares to this i can't speak exactly to the kind of screen time limit that you could find in either of those consoles. I think that's a really cool thing to essentially have the system have a built-in thing that says, you reached your two hours. We, you get two hours. It's yeah, over. Right. Um, and I believe that Nintendo has the option of just having it loudly ring as a nag as opposed to just cutting them off so that your kid can beat that last level or what have you. And then it will send an alert to your phone so that then you can be the parent to say, it's time, turn it off, that yeah. sort of thing. I really like that because, yeah, there have been some times where suddenly the tablet, like on Family Link, when it hits the two-hour two limit or whatever the limit it is, it, when they're on their tablet, no matter what they're doing, suddenly the screen goes blue and it says, your time is up. And I've definitely had that response of like, oh, no, not now. I was just there, you know. And, I was just to the final yes. boss, mom. <laughs> right. How dare you? But in, in that case, you just blame Google. You're like, oh, well, Google did it. I had nothing to do with it. I set the time. The word Google saith. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a break and thank the sponsor of this episode. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about some really, uh, really interesting and good online game recommendations uh, we'll talk through those with Sam, but first let's take a break and thank the sponsor of this episode of Know How, which is Grammarly. I'm a huge fan of Grammarly. I've, I've got it running on all of my machines. And why? Because it makes me sound smarter. Like when I write, it points out the ways that my grammar maybe sometimes isn't always up to snuff. And it helps me to correct them, yes, but it also just kind of educates me on like where I need to improve on my grammar so that over time I can get better. And then maybe Grammarly doesn't have to help me as much. That's what I love about Grammarly. It's a communication tool and an app that helps people improve their writing uh, to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. It helps people show their best self through writing and is available, like I said, across platforms, including the online browser extension, uh, desktop editor, mobile keyboard checker, works everywhere. Grammarly's free product reviews, uh, critical spelling, also grammar, and Grammarly Premium, Looks out for spelling and grammar, of course, plus advanced punctuation, structure, style within context, vocabulary suggestions, conciseness, and readability for different occasions. So, for example, if you're writing a business uh, proposal or maybe you're writing an academic essay or a casual blog post, all these are taken into consideration. You know, your, your, your approach to writing is going to change depending on what you're writing, and Grammarly is smart enough to know that. You can improve your writing for all sorts of occasions with Grammarly, and that's kind of the beauty 
of it. Uh, you could use Grammarly to double check the really important papers and documents that you're managing at a given point. You can track your writing skills and progress over time with Grammarly Premium. It's almost gamifies it so you can really see the details of how many corrections and all that stuff. Dive in on the numbers. You can personalize your experience and change your settings to write for different occasions. And Grammarly can even remember new words. So if there's something that you want in there and you want it to uh, continually correct you in this particular way, while you learn to do it yourself, Grammarly can help. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful product. It's super useful. It's one of my favorite apps of this year. And uh, I mean, it really is just one of those things that you install immediately when you get into a machine because, because of the ways that it improves on you. It, it helps you be better. And why wouldn't you want more of that in your life? Go to Grammarly.com slash know-how. You can get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. That's Grammarly.com slash know-how. And that will get you 20% off your Grammarly premium account. And we thank Grammarly for their support of know-how. All right, so online games, uh, there are so many of these. And, you know, your kids are, are going to want to play <laughs> some really, I mean, some really obvious ones. Obviously, Minecraft is probably at the top of this list. I feel like all kids know what Minecraft is. Uh, my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter really didn't, didn't get enraptured by Minecraft, but she has so many friends at school that are always talking the Minecraft language. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and why, why you think it's either a good or a bad game, online game for kids. What do you think? I, well, I would say Minecraft is just a good game for kids. Yeah. Minecraft has a really interesting mix of objectives and purpose and here's kind of the direction you should go and totally open-ended creativity and palette for a canvas for just making whatever kind of weird stuff you want. You can turn on a sort of challenge mode of having bad guys appear in a day-night cycle in which you have to create a sort of protected house to, to survive. But then there will also be turn on creative mode, turn off all the rules. You can fly anywhere. You can create whatever material you want and build houses and make switches and be a sort of engineer. Uh, as a multiplayer experience, you end up with the additional option of collaborating with other people. A lot of things that are made in Minecraft, especially the ones that your kids might see on YouTube of other creators, take a lot of time, take a lot of uh, contributions. So you have multiple people working together on different parts of a castle or working on a uh, minecart sort of rail instead of triggers and lights and explosions and all of that sort of stuff. So wanting to play with other people is very, uh, it, it makes sense in that game. And with the right set of friends, you can do that. Now I'll be kind of looking over at my cheat sheet to sort of point out that the first things first, the most pristine protected Minecraft game will be in one house with all players on the same screen or maybe connected on multiple phones in a local multiplayer way where you're all able to sort of find each other in a local instance and create your own game. Anything outside of that is a slight roll of the dice. But the next best option, if you have, let's say you've got a group of parents who all email together and kind of have their sort of nerdy group of friends and they coordinate in such a way, whoever wants to be the alpha nerd of that email chain can go to Minecraft Realms, pay a monthly fee, and get a dedicated server that can only be accessed with passwords. At that point, your kids and your friends' kids can all log in with a specific address or sort of a, a server name and password, and then boom, they are in their own, always online, relatively protected server that you can define all the rules. You can, oh, for example, great. make that a server where there's no way where each person can kill each other, like a creative-only server. 
or you can have it where certain stuff can't be destroyed or the way that save files work. All of these little things that change either the like nerdy nitty gritty or the bigger picture, how much can my kid be griefed while playing the other way? Um, that's not necessarily ideal for everyone. Uh, and you might just get, have a kid who's relatively old and wants to go and find a mix of friends and strangers and play online. Uh, when you're using Xbox or PlayStation, uh, or actually Switch, honestly, you can just very easily turn off both your kid's voice action and the other pe- player's voices. So you can reduce that amount of possible random voices when you go. Uh, but you can also look for public servers that are listed as family-friendly. It's a really easy internet search for family-friendly Minecraft servers. And they're considered family-friendly because they have volunteer moderators who go through and police any sort of suspicious or weird activity where someone turns the mic on and starts shouting and saying bad words, where someone is griefing, meaning they are intentionally getting in the way. They might even get in your kid's personal space, and that's considered griefing, where their their little avatar will run right into your child's and make it hard for them to see and Mm. weird things like that. Like That's a possibility that is at least moderated and taken care of. If you're okay with those little blushes of, oh, some awkward online interaction, in a world where you're not hearing these sort of voices or or seeing a lot of this more grotesque activity that can happen online, that can be sort of an early step into, oh, this is what it's like to play with total strangers. So you have these different tiers of how you can safely play Minecraft online, uh, but there is a sort of Wild West aspect. Once you say, matchmake with random people and turn on voice chat, at that point you really are beginning to roll the dice. So you'll want to sort of progress accordingly. I love that. I've, I've never heard of Minecraft Realms. I don't know why I would. My, my kid's not into Minecraft. But that sounds like a really good kind of approach, good alternative, right, to kind of paring it down, still having that kind of expansive uh, multiplayer online kind of experience, but feeling like you have at least a little bit more control in that sandbox. Um, so and that's, that's the key difference from games like Roblox. And Roblox right. and some of these other Minecraft-like games that we've heard of are similar in that way and have an ability to create friends-only matchmaking uh, and stuff like that. Uh, But I would say that the ROMs option uh, is both more secure but also maybe a little overkill. So that would be if if you've got kids who are obsessed with Minecraft and they watch YouTube videos of other people playing and they want to get into these bigger scale things, that would be sort of the way to go. I'm not an expert on a lot of these sort of world generation kid-friendly games as much as Jason. I just know that Jason had mentioned Roblox. I didn't know what your experience was as a dad with that game. Yeah, well, I mean, so my daughter uh, is definitely getting more and more into Roblox and, you know... I've, I've felt pretty good as far as like the, the parental kind of oversight controls. You know, I've sat down with her and played through it to kind of see what it's all about. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of other players mixing into these worlds and everything. So this is kind of the first time that I feel like she's, she's experienced a game where she's playing alongside these other players, uh, who could be from anywhere in the world, you know. So we really wanted, as parents, we really wanted to make sure that we had the controls, the ability to kind of control what kind of communication comes through, that sort of stuff. And thankfully, Roblox, uh, which I, w- I guess I would compare to Minecraft. It's similar in the sense that you can go on there and be creative and create a world or create a game that others can kind of jump into and play. We really wanted to just make sure that we could lock it down so that they aren't getting you know, random chats from random people stuff like that and thankfully they do offer controls on that so i as a parent have an account my child has an account and my account is tied into her account and oversees it so i can limit contact 
uh, entirely. I can kind of set age limits. There's also like a whole curated zone that's 100% curated. So if you want to be really restrictive, you can. You can isolate it to that. The one challenging thing there is on all of the search, whether they're, they're restricted to that curated content or not, they see everything in their results. So then they're going to find this thing and be like, well, I want to play it. And it tells me I can't play it. And I'm just like, if, if there's like a lockdown curated realm, like just only show them that because then there's, then, you know, they aren't enticed with all this other stuff. But, yeah. uh, but anyways, I think, I think in my experience in like the three or four months that my daughter's been playing it, they do a pretty good job of giving controls over that. But, uh, you know, it's definitely stepping your toes into that world where she's starting to kind of engage with people she doesn't know and, how comfortable do you feel about that, you know, as a parent? Right, right. Now, in terms of a lot of other games out there, it really is going to vary on your kid's age and interests and what their friends are playing. Now, let's not forget that peer pressure is going to be huge in a world where some kids just get to take a smartphone to school. They're anywhere from 10 to 17, and they may be sneaking games of, uh, on their smartphone under their desk. This mm-hmm. is what the teacher will see and wondering what the heck is going on. What, what I'm doing, I'm doing this underneath the <laughs> um, And the, so in that respect, I would say Fortnite is not a great option. Uh, in terms of parental controls, there's just not a lot to uh, to do unless, especially if you're playing on the computer version as opposed to Xbox or PlayStation or Switch, which at least come with their own safeguards of turning right. off microphones uh, and turning off messages from strangers. But it is a communicative game if you want to play in the, the game comes either solo, duos, or quads, as in one, two, or four player teams when you're doing the Battle Royale 1 versus 99 mode. Um, and so playing solo, you can mute things and make it very limited, uh, but I think a lot of people prefer to play it as a duo or a quad. In terms of violence or in terms of how parents feel about violence in games, that's going to be a personal uh, decision in terms of what they control. But I think that a game that makes it difficult to control social interaction is a little bit more of a parenting red flag than one in which people are, are shooting uh, guns at sort of cartoony characters. So that's something you'll want to look at when you're thinking about your kid with Fortnite. And the big bummer about Fortnite is that it has this um, other mode that you can pay for that lets you get friends together for you and your friends versus the computer, building a big house and protecting it from waves of zombies. But Fortnite does a bad job of delineating. You can't, as a parent, buy them the friends-only version and keep them away from the battle royale fight against internet strangers version. Mm. So I think that's a pretty big bummer on Epic's part. Uh, And if I'm totally wrong about that, then I will put that in the show notes. But that was my experience the last time that I looked into that. Now, Call of Duty, I will point to as another very popular series where people shoot at each other on the internet. And one thing I would say is that this is a game that you can get away with as a aggro teenage, I want to shoot all the things kind of video gamer who understands it's a fantasy and not a reality um, without having to turn on mics, without having to get into team play chatter. As in, you can jump in there and be playing with other strangers with mics turned off and the worst that you're going to see is um, what, what is colloquially known as teabagging. You can Google it if you don't know what that is. But that is the kind of thing that I think is the worst other than, you know, blood and military weapons and that sort of thing. Again, that's a parent-by-parent decision. Yep. Uh, there is a lot in the United States of parents saying, yeah, that's all fine. And other nations going, why are kids playing games full of military guns? But there is that. Uh, I think Rocket League is a really good recommendation for a family-friendly game that is cool. As in, 
anybody who's playing Rocket League is playing a purely sports game in which high-speed cars are ramming into oversized soccer balls to win this sort of supercharged kind of game of soccer. I always put this at the top of my give your kids a game that doesn't stink, that doesn't feel like it's made for babies, that actually has grown-ups playing it in competitive games and also can work without having to chat. You can sort of tap buttons on a D-pad, as I would mentioned earlier, if you want to say soccer context sort of things like I'm open or hit, give me a center pass or these sort of sports phrases. Mm -hmm. So uh, I really do put that near the top of my list. And also in general, just as a tip for parents, uh, I'd say the Xbox Game Pass does a really good job of curating family-friendly content that plays well with Xbox parental control settings so that you can buy that Xbox Game Pass where you're paying a certain amount per month and just get a whole swath of online and non-online games that can be downloaded and played as long as you're a subscriber that all just do a good job of whether you're online or off. Just play well, are listed in a family-friendly sort of block of games because you have to go in and then pick out the games once you're in Xbox Game Pass and things like that. So that's a really nice thing that I would definitely recommend as a parent is go through the Xbox Game Pass. It's a way to save money. It works with the sort of parent and kid account separation so that you don't have to worry as an Xbox Game Pass user who can access the stuff and how um, and that sort of thing. So there's a whole world of games that are out there that are appropriate and not appropriate, but that's just a beginning taste. And then from there, play the games with your kids. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, about that in a second. Yeah, well, we don't, we don't even need to wait. Let's dive into it right now, um, which is something that I'm actually really looking forward to is, is playing more with my kids. Now that I have the PS4, got a couple of games, you know, that I, that I plan to give them. Hopefully we can start to do this multiplayer thing. That's, that's one aspect is, is playing with your kids so that you're close to the content. Uh, also realizing that as kids become more kind of interested in, in these games, they also become interested in the culture that surrounds it. And that poses a really big challenge, uh, right now. You know, I feel like there, there's a lot of, a lot of places where they can connect with people in healthy ways. There's also a lot of, you know, we've heard a lot in the last couple of years about ways where, where kids can connect in unhealthy ways, uh, because of, you know, some of the culture points that surround some of these games. Talk a little bit about that. Oof, this is where I might start rambling. This is a topic I care a lot about, and I would have put this at the very top of the episode if it wasn't just a little bit more in the weeds. But I think any parent who has a kid who's interested in gaming, online or offline gaming, should be mindful of platforms where speech is most popular. Meaning, any site that pushes out a ton of content and wants a lot of users posting a lot of votes doesn't have your kid's best interest in mind. They are much more interested in fueling repeat users, monthly active users, and just getting more content, more content, and more content. And the result, I believe, is very easily gamed. I would say a big example is a site like YouTube. We've heard a lot of random horror stories about kids going to YouTube and just looking at things they like. They search for certain terms, and they're getting their favorite game videos to start. But then certain stuff starts bubbling up and percolating. These opinion videos where people will pop on and rant. And these kind of rant videos tend to have little hooks into stuff that has less to do with the game and more to do with being an isolated person on the Internet. Uh, I, I, there's a way we can go way down the rabbit hole about some of this stuff. But one of the easiest tactics that's been used for a long time on the Internet is using something fun that's kid-friendly to then insert hateful messages and messages of isolation and feeling lift out. These are sort of gang initiation tactics. 
that are rolling out more and more and more all across the internet. And YouTube is the easiest place to spot them because you get a video that talks about, oh, well, let's do this sort of thing about a game and be angry about the game. Haha, ha, that's fun. That next step is I'm going to contribute. I'm going to post a response that's like a meme. And that meme, I don't understand the cartoon character or I don't understand the catchphrase, but now I'm part of a club of other people who all say that same goofy thing. Five, six steps from there can become very messed up in terms of the messaging. So YouTube is definitely one of those places that does not have your kid's best interest in mind when it pops up random videos. You want to be very sure that wherever your kid is watching YouTube content, that you are there to be a part of what that algorithm is spitting out in terms of what subscriptions your kids are having access to and go from there. Um, because a couple of accidental video posts that, whoops, YouTube, sorry, we messed up and posted some weird hateful speech on a Fortnite thread, um, that can go and snowball. And it is a little scary. And it is one of those things that is hard to pin down because that platform is changing all of the time. Now, I'm still rambling here, but I want to segue from that to the more nebulous points of the internet, Reddit and Discord. So Reddit, you may have heard of as a very popular site full of a bazillion sub channels. You can find one dedicated to Fortnite and Minecraft and different versions of different games. Like you could find an old, old, old uh, PC only strategy game and it'll have its own dedicated subreddit as it's called and things like that. This is another land where you can get lost in the weeds and just go and find people who range from in incredibly innocent and giant fans to a little nebulous and weird. And Reddit doesn't necessarily do a great job policing all of its subsites. Go further from that, and we're at Discord. Discord is a chat app. Now, if you've ever used Slack or perhaps Skype, you would recognize what Discord looks like. It is a chat app. It works on your phone. It works on your laptop. And it lets you connect when you are playing, let's say, on Xbox, your friend's playing on PlayStation, but you both have Discord. So you can see what you're each doing, and that's sort of how it starts, where you and other friends can find each other in the games that you love. However, Discord is also used by game makers to promote their own games. Uh, I say, however, that's actually kind of a cool thing because developers will then actually be in the chat rooms for indie games. And then kids and fans can come into these rooms and be, you know, communicate with a game maker. And a 12-year-old me would have loved to yeah. have been in a chat room with like the creators of Doom or Quake or Duke Nukem or things like that. No and kids have that opportunity now. And that is really cool. But between Reddit, YouTube, and Discord, links from one of those can go to the other to these more nebulous, friends-only, uh, then only the people who are in the know, only people who got invite codes are part of a cool club. And then you get some weird messaging about, oh, they don't like you because you're a gamer. And, oh, there's some chatter on Twitter or on social media about how these kind of gamers are bad. Well, you're not bad. Come be part of our club. And then more hateful memes and more hateful messaging can come up. So this is more of a general parenting sort of conversation than a gaming-specific one. But because games are on the forefront of technology and because games are about, oh, you got to keep up with the newest and the coolest, kids tend to gravitate to these kinds of platforms if they love games. So I implore any parent who has a kid who's getting into things that they say, it's just about gaming, mom. I'm just learning about the game, dad. That's partially true. But there's more going on there that those kids may not really understand or appreciate. That doesn't mean you need to go to all these chat rooms and go become a Discord expert. 
It's more about going, all right, hey, let's talk about where you go to get game news. Because chances are, it's not where you got it. It's not GamePro Magazine. It's not the Nintendo Fun Club newsletter. It's constantly changing. So knowing where your kid gets that sort of stuff, becoming a part of it, saying, hey, I want to be part of this thing too. I'd love to talk to the developer. And being a part of it that way is a really cool way to use the best parts of these platforms and grow a little bit with your child's hobby. So look at those platforms as an opportunity to be a more interested and involved parent because you don't have to play video games to be part of those discords. You can be bad at twitching buttons, but be good at looking at that Reddit sub subreddit where it has a bunch of like tips and tricks and secrets about a game. These are avenues to be a good, interested gaming parent without knowing what the heck, how the heck to do the move in the game. Uh, YouTube, on the other hand, is garbage. Just watch out. I mean, I know we're on a video channel here, and you probably looked for us in a specific way, but it is a dangerous place in terms of what is randomly thrown at a kid, and you really should be more active in YouTube until Google gets its act together on that platform. Yeah. Man, I don't even know where to go with this one. Uh, just because as a parent, this is this is really kind of the big challenge right now, is that you know... You know that your children want to be in these places. You know that they're there out of genuine interest. You know that they love video games as one example, or they love, you know, uh, people making slime on a, on a YouTube video or whatever. But you also know as, as grownups and as adults, we also know what we've seen in these areas and like, and, and how easy it is to kind of find some of that content. And yeah, as parents, it just puts so much responsibility on our shoulders, which is which is where the responsibility should be, to have those conversations and to sit down and to truly understand and to not have that reactive, you know, knee-jerk reaction of, well, then just cancel it all, that you're not going to have any technology. And it's, it's really hard to find that balance, especially when it comes to gaming, because like you say, something could seem very innocent you know, it's just about gaming. It's this is what you know, fans of gaming. This is what they do now. They you know, they watch other people playing or talking about it on YouTube. Uh, but there's but there's so much content that it's almost impossible for you as a parent to watch every single minute of it, right? Like every video is 20, 30 minutes long. Who knows, you know, what's being said at what point inside of these videos. I, you know, I think in the end, you just really have to have a really good kind of communication relationship with your kid to talk through these things and, and hopefully help them to understand that, you know, it's, if they encounter these things, it's, you know, they're not in trouble. It's not, they are a bad person, but you want to understand it so that you can help walk them through it in a responsible way. Yeah. And I would say to anybody who's listening to my horror story, uh, I'm 37, so that meant in the mid to late 90s, I was on dial-up using all of these Wild West new things. I was on IRC as a teenager. I had a girlfriend on IRC when I was 16 years old. She was in another state, and my mom knew about it, and we had conversations about it. And she was like, well, I guess she, he's, you know, at least at my house and not out like in some parking lot somewhere. That was part of her appreciation of it. But my point is I saw messed up things. I saw stuff that I was too young for on the Internet. But I also had conversations with my family and had context because that's what's going to happen no matter how you as a kid see all this new crazy stuff in the world. Um, I mean, goodness, Boy Scout camp. I heard stories from kids who did that stuff about all the messed up life lessons they picked up from idiot other kids around a campfire. This stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And digital platforms actually give us some more opportunities to engage and be a part of them in a way that other common bonding experiences for young boys and girls don't allow. So I'm not saying they're worse. They're just different. And so 
embracing the best parts of that technology is going to be the best way to at least be involved with your kid as they go off into a world that you can't be a part of. It's because again, when we're talking about gaming and being a parent, it really is about that push and pull of a kid asserting independence, trying out stuff they're not used to, yeah. doing things outside of what you've taught them, making friends and having those experiences. And in any case, gaming or otherwise, it's all about those people in that conversation as much as possible while also doing everything else that sucks about being a parent. Because it's lovely and amazing, but also terrible is what I've gathered. <laughs> and you know, and hats off to anybody who's watching this, seeking this sort of advice. Uh, you're going to get my in contact information at the end of the show. And if you watch this episode and you want to talk specifically to me just on the gaming side, the random little thing, I'm into it because you've gotten this far in the video and I know that you're a concerned parent. So please absolutely just hit me up at Sam Red. That'll be on the show notes and all that other stuff. Sam, you're awesome. This has been a lot of fun. We've now done uh, three months worth of gaming uh, topics and content and discussion and everything here on Know How. And I, I can't thank you enough, man. It, the, I, I knew when we were kind of devising what this package, what this kind of season of Know How was going to be, like your name was right there almost immediately. I was like, got to get Sam on. He knows his stuff as far as this is concerned. And you're just an awesome, fun guy to do a podcast with. So thank you so much for hopping on for this. Jason, it's finally an opportunity for me to become a part of one of your shows in a way that's more than just 10 minutes of me shouting some gibberish that nobody understands. Uh, it's been a pleasure and delight. But more importantly, I want to thank anybody who's been following these episodes. Uh, your attention and time is incredibly value to me, and I really appreciate it. I hope you've gotten anything out of this. I know we've flubbed a couple of things. I read all the comments. I know that not everything we've said is perfect, but we are trying to get a lot of information to a wide audience. And those of you who are the pickiest are the ones that I appreciate the most. Thank you. And I hope to, you know, see you all around at some other Twitch shows. They have me on these things again and again for some reason. So I don't know if she'll be coming back, but I will. Oh, I, I just assumed that that picture was going to travel with you back home and you'd always have it behind you for all future. Appearances. I don't know what Alaska Airlines would say about that as <laughs> thing but i'm sure they've you know handled worse cargo yeah. they, they would require you to purchase an extra seat for her is probably what would happen uh sam thank you again uh awesome stuff twit.tv slash kh is where you can go if you want to find all the information about this show you can find links show notes past episodes uh you can subscribe of course uh we, we record these shows uh, on thursdays at uh, 2 p.m eastern 11 a.m pacific uh, but all that information is there twit.tv slash kh uh and of course we have a google plus uh community that you can check out just do a search for twit know how and you'll find the google plus community there and we can you know you can chat about all of the know-how topics that we've had over the years nearly twelve thousand other fans uh can be found there as well uh again Again, Sam's uh, Twitter is at Sam Red. I'm at Jason Howell. Of course, I'm all, all over the Twit network, so you'll be seeing more of me. And then we have uh, the TD, the technical director, uh, who I believe it's is it is it Josh? That's actually Alex today. Um, oh, uh, th thank you very much for all. The oh, hi Josh. Hi, hey. hi Josh. Oh, hey, how's it going? Hi, what are you what are you doing here? Josh, uh, where can we follow you? Yeah, where can we follow you? Well, um, you know, all this social media is like, it's just too much for me. So yeah. just give me a call. I'll just give my phone number out. No, no, no. You uh, don't want to. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's a really bad idea, dude. Don't do that. We appreciate it. We know that you're a really nice guy, but you don't, you don't want everybody calling you, do you? 
Maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe he does. All right. Well, maybe we'll put that in the show notes as well. (laughs) He's just really lonely. Uh, And also, thanks, Alex. Really appreciate your help. And I will refer to you by your actual first name. Oh, thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. Yeah. See, I see you as a human being. Uh, And thanks to you for watching, everybody. We'll see you next time. And now that you know how, get to gaming. Bye, everyone. Bye.